Lord in prayer this morning. Powerful scripture this morning for us. We're gonna we're gonna look over the next few weeks, a month or two about what it means to love God and what it, what His love for us looks like. I think it's important. It's it's the base foundation for everything. Without love, it's it's worthless. Now I've got to tell you, this passage of scripture really pins me to the wall. It it's a tough passage of scripture for me to look at. It I look at at my life upside this passage of scripture and go, wow. I'm falling short. You know the great thing about that is, though, that God understands that. He made David Diggs just like he is, warts and all. And I can go to him and say, God, you know I've blown it. And God can say, man, I forgive you. It's all right. We're going to be in a relationship with each other. So let's look at this passage of Scripture. First of all, Sheila already brought out a little bit of the, of the background of that. There was these two groups, Pharisees and Sadducees, and and they were the rulers, if you will, of the law. They were uh, not just preachers, but they were it as far as the, the how to interpret the law and so on and so forth. And so they had been trying. To, in fact, they had already decided in their Sanhedrin in the 70 that were kind of set apart. They had already decided we need to get rid of this Jesus guy. He's making too many waves. There's, it's just impossible. We can't, we can't go along with this stuff. He's going he's gonna to end up taking all the people, his direction. So we've got to do something about that. So in their hearts, they had already decided we've got to figure out a way to trip him up and, and to make it so that we can kill him. We can stone him to death because he's gone against the law. So they had worked hard on, on coming up with something. and So they had come with him already and, and asking these questions, trying to trip him up. And mm, Jesus is not falling for all of that. But one, it, it says in the book of Luke that he was an a, a expert in the law. This guy knew his business. So he, he was going to try to trip Jesus up with this statement. Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Hmm. It's interesting that the very first one, is the greatest commandment. If you go back to, to the book of, of um, Exodus, you'll see when Moses got those commandments that um, the first one is, you should have no other gods before me. In the book of Deuteronomy, just before they're going to go into the Holy Land, Moses comes back and, and, and puts a positive that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might. Jesus adds a little something here, by the way. And it's because of their society and where they were at. He says this, Teacher, which is the greatest question, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, not might. That it says in the, in the Old Testament. The reason being is because the society they lived in, that was the three things, the heart, the soul, and the mind. This was what made up a man. And so... He comes to them and says, with all that you have. And he uses a word here that's somewhat familiar to them. And I say that because he didn't do that flippantly. In this word agape, and the word all is not used very many times in the Greek New Testament because they didn't speak like we do. You know, us preachers are real bad about going, well, there must have been a million of them in church this morning. You know, or... 
There was a thousand of them out there. We, we do that all the time flippantly with all the words that we say, but the Greeks were very specific. So when they say all, they mean all. So what they're looking at is all. So to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, that's intense. I mean, they're thinking, well, I can love God like a brother. A phileo love. I can love him that way. That's, that's good enough. We can love God sometimes, and we can certainly have a love for the law, and we can, we can love God because we go to a synagogue every week, we go to church every week, we go, we go and do the right things. Maybe, maybe we follow the law as best we can. Sheila said they had put about 640 laws on top of the laws already. That's an estimate that goes about in the New Testament. They had put a bunch of things on top of the law. So Mainly, they could justify themselves in what they were doing, but they tried to live that way. So this has got to be all that God needs. It's just for us to obey the rules, to do the right things at the right time, to do exactly what he said in his word, and that'll, that'll do it. We're, we're good to go. Problem is, they couldn't live up to that. They had made one of the, my favorite rules is that they had made a rule that you could not... Um, Go outside of your house, but so many steps on the Sabbath day. You could only go so many. So here's the way you get rid of that. You take one of the bricks out of the house and you put it in your pocket or put it in your backpack or so on and so forth. So you're never going outside of your house. You can't get a far, far, farther away than a step that way. Don't we do the same thing? We justify all of our actions so that we can be right in at least our own eyes. So he uses this word that, that you've got to love, that, that word agape, an unconditional love of God. We talk all the time about that's how God loves us, is unconditionally. He looks through our sin to us. We've already talked about in these weeks before this, how that God made us from the beginning of time. He had a plan for us, how we're created in his image, how God loves us so much. And it's no accident that you're here in this building or in this time of 2022, God's got a plan for your life. Wow. God loved you so much, we talked about last week, that he sent his only son, that you, if you would believe in him, in him, you wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. So God's done all of this on love for him. So who or what is your God? Boy, I've had to wrestle with that this week. You know, over the years, it's so easy for me to, to want something. You know, geez, Sheila just came up with that. Don't want what your neighbor's got. I don't really have to have too much trouble with that. But I might want what Walmart's got, or I might want what the car dealerships down here's got, or, or the boat dealership, or one of those. Have you ever found yourself just hungering for something like that? Man, that new car, that new pickup, or whatever. You just It becomes all-consuming to you. Suddenly you've got to wake up and realize, wait a minute, that thing's out of place. That is not who I'm supposed to love with all my heart, soul, and mind. I'm supposed to love God. That's his place. I'm not saying it. And we talked about that in Sunday school this morning. God gives us things for our pleasure. God gives us things for, for us to enjoy. That's not the point. But the point is, when that takes the place of that love in your life that God's supposed to have, Bible says that God's a jealous God. He won't put up with that, by the way. God loves you with all he's got. 
And you need to do the same thing. You need to allow yourself to love him. And it's a choice that we make. <coughs> Every once in a while, we have a garage sale. Sheila knows that when we have a garage sale, everything's for sale. I mean, guy comes up and goes, hey, that truck for sale over there? Well, sure is. How much you want for that truck? $20,000. Well, I can buy a new one for that. So can I. Awesome. Sheila don't come outside the house. She's afraid that I might, you know, is, is she for sale? Well, maybe, you know, let's talk about it. But everything's for sale. But sometimes we live our lives like that, that, that everything that we've got is, is cheapened by is for sale. Even our love for God. I don't know if you've thought about it, but that stuff that we have, whatever it is, whatever we're hungering for the most, there's sometimes I like to go fishing, I like to go hunting, I like this, I like that, I like that new gun. And sometimes I let those things take the place of what I feel about God. It might just be for that long. It might just be a long time, though. Some of you in this room may have been living your life like that. All of the stuff that you have and all of the the money that you can get and that job promotion and things that are going on in your life may have taken the place of where God's supposed to be. I've been there. Man, it's a time in your life that you've got to do a little gut check. It says, wait a minute. What are my most important things? What do I love more than anything else in my life? If that is not God... Something's wrong in your life. Something's wrong in your life. Now notice what it says. With all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. Man, it is so easy to let something slip into that God slot. Sometimes it's not good things, by the way. The pressures, anxieties, stuff that's going on in your life that's not good. Man, you let that slip into the space. It, it overtakes your life. It's just like, wow, I can't think about anything else. God, yet God said, cast your anxiety on Him. Take all of that stuff and put it on Him. Make Him number one in your life, no matter what's going on. So I would ask you to think about what is all-consuming in your life? God should be in that spot that consumes you, all you need, and all that you are. Sometimes that's difficult. Then you come to the second one. This church does a great job of this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here, Jesus was talking to a group of men that thought nothing about them, but, but about themselves. These Pharisees and Sadducees looked down on everyone else. I know y'all have never done that or seen somebody like that, but they looked down on everybody else. Everybody was there to serve them. They were the big dogs on the block. They were who everybody ought to come to for the answers for all of life. And this neighbor thing, wow, this was a whole new concept for them. Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, if you go over to the book of Luke chapter 10, one of those Pharisees comes to him and, and says, What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. Well, who's my neighbor, he says. So Jesus tells this great parable about a Samaritan. Samaritans were hated. They were half-breeds. They, they weren't really, they were even worse than Gentiles as far as the, the Jews were concerned. Wow, you have nothing to do with those guys. 
I like it because my grandmother's Choctaw and I'm a mutt, so I like it. Most of us here in America, we're mutts, by the way. You just need to get over that. My kids, my grandkids had a little crisis. My daughter adopted four uh, teenagers a few years ago, and they are Hispanic white. And Boy, they had a crisis of belief for a while, who they were, what, what direction am I going to go, what, what do I need to follow? And I was like, you just need to follow God. All the rest of that stuff doesn't matter. In the United States, we're pretty much mutts anyway. It's okay. It's okay. We're good. But this thought of them loving their neighbors or self, so Jesus tells this story about this, this Samaritan. This guy was this, it, it wasn't a guy. This Jew was going along and got beat up on this road. Now that road that he got beat up on was a famous road. It was a road that everybody knew robbers and thieves because you were going to Samaria. If you go through Samaria, you're going to get whooped on. You're going to get robbed and beat up, maybe killed. This guy goes down this road. Sure enough, robbers coming, beat him up. And first thing that happens was a priest came by. One of them preachers, you know, he came by and he didn't want nothing to do with him because probably he was looking at his watch going, you know, I got another meeting in 15 minutes. I ain't got time to do that guy. Well, what he was really thinking was, if I touch that guy, I got to go to the other priest and tell him I touch a dead body, and I got to go through seven days of ritualistic clinging. Wow, that's not worth it. He's dead anyway, leave him alone. Next guy comes on is a Levi who works in the church. You know, it's about like the youth minister. But anyway, he works in the church. Sure enough, he goes, I'm not going to do anything with that because then I got to go to the priest. And here we go again. Seven days of ritualistic cleansing. I'm not going to have anything to do with him. But then the old Samaritan comes by, picks the guy up, takes care of his wounds, even takes him so far as the inn and tells the innkeeper, hey, you take care of him, bring him back to health. When I come back through, I'll pay the bill. I got it. So Jesus asked this Pharisee or expert in the law, so which one of those was his neighbor? Which one of those? And of course, the guy says, well, the Samaritan, Jesus tells him to go and do the same. So this was a whole new concept for them, a whole new thought pattern of loving your neighbors yourself. These guys thought they were the chosen ones. Sometimes in the church, we get that way too. Not maybe that we're the chosen ones, but, you know, we... We can pull out our wallet pretty easy in the United States, it seems like. Dole out a few dollars to help those in need someplace. But to go across the street because your neighbor needs you. To help those people right around you. To see that person who's down on their luck. They've been beat up by life. And to help lift them back up. Wow. Not only just in anyway, but just like you would do yourself. That's tough. That's tough. But it's what Jesus says brings us to this place. Notice what he says at the end of this. All, again, use that word, the law and the prophets Hang on these two commandments. I thought maybe that was a that was a good uh, country word, hang, you know. But it really isn't. 
It, it's the very foundation, Jesus would say, of all the law and the prophets. It, it, let's break it down, boys. Here's, here's all you need got to do. These two things. Wow. That sounds pretty easy. Just two things. Just, just two little things. And, and in fact, the whole foundation of the church is built on these two things. Reaching and teaching people. Reaching people with the good news of Jesus. Sometimes when you reach people with the good news, they're down on their luck and they've got things going on in their life just like you do. And they need a little hand up. They need somebody to take them by the hand. I, I've been doing this a long time and I'm telling you, it's a lot more important that you reach out your hand and touch them and go, hey, I'm here. Than it is to open up your wallet and go, hey, here's some money. Take care of that deal. People need to know that we love them personally. People need to know that we really care about what's going on in their life. People need to know that, that we're willing to, to do whatever it takes to make whatever sacrifice is necessary to help them get back on their feet. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Wow. It's simple, but it's not easy. I find that, by the way, in all of the, the, the Word. Jesus' plan for your life is simple, but it's not easy. It's got to start with loving the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind. It starts like this. The Bible says that you've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God raised Him from the dead. I mean, you've got to believe that. Not, not just a little bit of belief in that. You've got to believe that with all that you are. That Jesus is really, really, really the Son of God. That Jesus really was here. He came. He lived on this earth. That he died and was raised again on the third day. Got to. Foundational for everything else. And if you do that, the Bible says that Jesus has already paid the price for you. And you've got to accept that gift. From that point forward, it's about all of your life, learning to love God with all that you are. You live life that way. Wow. As I look at this passage of Scripture outside my life, I think, wow. I have fallen so short so many times. And yet, I've got a God who loves me. I got a God who died for me. I got a God who cares for every cell of my being. The Bible says he's even counted the hairs on my head, knows when one of them falls. Wow. Cares more about me than I care about myself. And that same God who knows how he made me and knows that I fall and knows that I fall short is willing to forgive me and let me try again. What about you today? I don't know what's going on in your life, but as I look at this passage of Scripture, I think about foundationally where I'm at in my life. It's a time of reflection for all of us. Do I love God with all of my heart and my soul and my mind? Right at this moment, right? It's moment by moment, by the way. Right at this moment. What's the most important thing in your heart? Is it God? Mm -hmm. If 
If not, then you need to change that right now. God's given you an opportunity right at this moment to change that in your, in your life. If you let something else slip in there, things going on in your life, and sometimes I, I've been there too. It seems like a mountain. It seems like you, it's all-consuming in your whatever's going on. But God is still God of that. He's still in control of all things. He is God of everything that's going on right now in this moment. Would you let him be God? Would you say, God, I can't handle this, but you can. I want to rely on you right at this moment. Whatever that decision is, we're going to have a little hymn of invitation in just a moment. Right now, this is a time for you just to go, God, I want you to take this. I want you to be number one in my life no matter what else. Nothing else matters except you right in this moment. I hope you'll make that decision this morning as we sing a hymn of invitation as God is leading you. Let's stand together.